How great is our God? We at First Church would like to welcome you, <clears throat> whether you're here in person, listening on the radio, or watching on Facebook. We are blessed that you are part of our service and hope that you feel God's love and presence while you worship with us this morning. For the announcements, please look over the bulletin for items that may be of interest to you. We expend, extend our love and sympathy to the family of Don Maurer, who entered into Christ's care on Saturday, October 8th. He was 72. He was given a Christian burial at Pilgaroo Cemetery on Thursday. The blue jug is out again this morning for donations for Hurricane Ian relief. Those gifts will go through Samaritan's Purse. You can also give online, just note Blue Jug or Hurricane in the comment section. The parking lot will be sealed starting tomorrow. Uh, the parking lot will probably be closed for a couple of days. For those coming during that time to church or the office, including consistory meeting tomorrow night, please park along the street. Please rise and join me in the call to worship. The call to worship comes from Psalm 105. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell of all His wonderful acts. Glory is His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and His strength. Seek His face always. Remember the wonders He has done. His miracles and the judgments He pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Abraham, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The promise he made, a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham. The oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree. To Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan, as a portion you will inherit. For he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. He gave them the lands of the nations, and they fell heir to what others had toiled for, that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. Praise to the Lord. Now let us sing our praise song, Promises. Thank you. 
So next we have children's chat, and we're going to change things up a little bit. See if one of our gents can shed his guitar and lead us. So come on up, kids, and while they're coming forward, please greet those near you. things with me today, all right? How many of you like to fix things? Fix things, build things, maybe help out dad or grandpa or anything like that. You do? You do? So, yeah, I bet so. I bet so. Well, I brought a few things along with me today, so I had to get a bag that didn't have manure on it, so congratulations. Let's see how well you know some of the tools that you might have at your house. You ready? What's this one? What's that for? Oh, measuring. Okay, that's good. Rolls up nice. How about that one? Screwdriver. Yeah. Big or small? Big. Yeah, okay, it's number two. All right. What about this little set? Look at all those little ones in there. What do you see in there? Lots of big or little? Lots of tiny ones. You know what I use this for? This is for putting batteries in all the kid toys. You have to have a micro screwdriver set for all the kid toys in those battery compartments. What about this one? What's that used for? Tightening bolts. Harder ones here. You ready? What's this one? Ooh, she says. Ooh. Well, that's a wrench too. Does anyone know this wrench? Oil filter wrench. That's right. That's an oil filter wrench. So when you're under your car and you got your oil filter stuck on there and you're thinking about saying bad words, you can just crank that on there and get your filter off. So you can also use your screwdriver if you really get in trouble. What about that one? Just a little guy. That's a good one, yeah. You got six drawers. Okay. All right, we're going to get another hard one here. What about that one? A bolt socket. It's kind of like a socket, but look, it's all wibbly-wobbly, isn't it? Well, it's a wobble joint. That is perfect when you're working on an engine, but you can't get to that bolt because someone put it on the back side. Some engineer like Mr. Jones. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing that you'll find as you work and as you are in a shop. All those tools kind of have different jobs, don't they? And what do those tools let us do or help us do? Fix things. What do you think, Addie? Fix things, build things, absolutely. And tear down stuff. And tear down stuff. But if I didn't have a tape measure, I wouldn't be able to do certain things, right? I wouldn't be able to tell that Benjamin here is two foot away from me, you know, without a tape measure. So each tool is kind of different. They're similar, some of them, right? Like these are both Phillips, right? We see the point on the end. But one's um, big, one's small. One's big, one's small. Yep, and so they can all do different jobs and all do different things. Oh, 
I got more tools in here that I didn't bring out yet. That's okay. Well, I want to tell you about a really kind of special tool that we talk about here at church sometimes. And do you guys have one of these in your shop at home? Yeah. You yeah. do. Addie has one in her. That's awesome. Uh, do you know, what's this one? A Bible. A Bible. What does this help us fix? You read it. Yeah. Does that help you fix an engine that doesn't work? No. Is this going to build a, a birdhouse? No. A treehouse? No. Um, could we fix a leaky sink? No. No. Oh, my goodness. Well, we talk about the Bible, and we talk about how it's kind of like a manual, or it's like a tool that we can use to fix some other kind of more important stuff out there. And so the cool thing is, as you get bigger, and when you get into uh, different versions of the Bible, there are uh, topics you can look for. So if you're really sad about something that happened in your life, there's a part in the Bible where you can go find that, and there'll be a scripture or something that'll kind of, you can read it, and you can think about it, and pray about it, and you start to feel a little better. And so it starts to fix some of those other things that we don't have a wrench for. What do you think of that? So actually, in 2 Timothy... It says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Which is a fancy way of saying everything in the Bible is good stuff and can be the right tool for the right time in your life, depending on what's going on in your life. What do you think about that? So maybe the next time, if you're out in the shop or out in the garage or dad or grandpa or whoever's out in the shop, maybe you'll think about, you know, we've got a really good good toolbox and a really good set of of things that we can use to fix and work and get through all kinds of things in our life. How's that sound? Okay, I'm going to finish with a special prayer. This comes right out of a book in the Bible called Hebrews. Okay, and I'm not going to make a Hebrew joke, but I kind of want to. So from Hebrews 13, here's the prayer. Let's fold our hands and pray, okay? And we'll go with the prayer. Ready? Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. Hustle back. Thanks, kids. Amen. Yep. You kids can head back to your families. Thanks, Clinton, for that children's chat this morning. Our offering this morning goes to support the radio fund. Um, Again, I don't have to reiterate again how important that ministry is and how how important it's proved, especially over the last couple of years. We're so grateful that we have the opportunity to broadcast our services on T102, um, but that does cost money to do that. And so the offering today is going to help support the radio ministry um, so that we can continue to broadcast our services on T102 and continue to reach people with the gospel through that ministry. So at this time, I want to invite the deacons to come forward and collect their offering as Kay offers up our song, Music on the Organ.
invite you to remain standing with us as we sing number four, How Great Thou Art.
Amen. I invite you to pray with me. Father God, we are, we come before you, Lord, knowing you are great, that you are good, that you are the, you are most worthy of all of our praise. As we sing this song, How Great Thou Art, Lord, it just reminds us of just how truly wonderful and majestic and glorious you are. We see that in, in, in your creation and the way that you created and sustained this universe that we live in and that you do that for each one of us in our own lives. We thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, that his death and his resurrection is what saves us from our sins and, and, and helps us to become your children once again. And of course, Lord, we look forward to the day when your son will return, when you will bring heaven to earth, when you will establish your kingdom here in this place. And what a joy that will be to, to see you, Lord, in all of your glory and to gather together with your people to sing your praise endlessly for all eternity. Lord, there is not enough time, not enough time in our own lives, not even enough time in eternity to sing your praises, to give you the glory that is due your name. But Lord, we are grateful that you call us into fellowship with yourself, that you call us into, into a relationship with, with brothers and sisters in Christ, that we may, we may get but a glimpse of you here and now. Lord, you are worthy of our, of, your, of our praise because of all of who you are and what you've done for us. Um, we are so grateful for the way that you have answered prayer in our lives. Um, Lord, we would, as we gather here today, we want to thank you and praise you for your work. Um, Lord, you're, you always answer our prayers. You always hear our prayers. Um, you may not always answer them in the way that we expect, but you do hear them and you do answer them according to your will. And so we praise you and thank you for that. And we ask that you would help us to see how you are working and, and, and see what your will is in a given situation. And so, Lord, we ask that you would work in our lives, that you would work in this community and across this nation, around this world. We ask, Lord, that your will would be done in each situation, especially those that are listed in our bulletin this morning. We ask that you would be glorified in those circumstances, that you would provide healing for those who need it, that you'd provide comfort for those who are mourning the loss of a loved one. And we also ask, Lord, for guidance and wisdom for those who um, seek you for uh, for needing to make decisions. And Lord, we just, again, ask that you would work your will in each and every one of those situations, your good, perfect, and pleasing will. Lord, we also pray for those in authority over us, as your word calls us to do. And so this day we pray for our local governments, uh, in the village of New Knoxville and Auglaise County, um, and our surrounding communities as well. We thank you for the leaders who who stepped up and who served these these communities. And we ask, Lord, that they would have wisdom beyond their means and a hunger and thirst after your righteousness that they would be satisfied. And we ask, Lord, for your continued guidance and leadership in this place, in this church. Uh, we especially think of those who serve on consistory, which we'll be meeting tomorrow night. We just thank you for each person that um, gives of their time and their talent, their energy, their resources, Lord, to serve this church. And we pray that you would bless and honor their, their commitment, Lord, and that you would help them to lead and serve well within this church family. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, 
and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned out to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christian first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able decided to provide help for their brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Thanks, Maria. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can gather here in this place and worship you and And now hear from your word. As we read it and study it this morning, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And we ask that you give me words to speak, that that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're going to be continuing our series on what it means to be an active church from the book of Acts. And today we're going to be talking about what it means to be a distinctively Christ-like church. Now, hopefully all of our churches are Christ-like, right? Hopefully we all are, we are, we are obeying Christ and following Christ. But there's something interesting that happens here in the church at Antioch. Notice what Maria just read for us, that it was there in Antioch where the disciples were first called Christians. Now, it's interesting. They've been proclaiming Christ for some time. They had been teaching and preaching the gospel for some time. But at Antioch is when they were first labeled Christians. People began to recognize that there was something different about those Jesus followers, that there was something going on in their lives and the things that they taught that was different from the rest of the world, that was different even from the Judaism that they had come out of. They were distinctively Christ-like. In the, early, in the mid-20th century, um, author C.S. Lewis, uh, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, among other things, was given an opportunity to go live on the radio, on the, on the BBC radio, and give an explanation of what Christianity was all about. He had been a, 
uh, a convert late in life and spent much of his time uh, sharing about what that meant. And the collection of radio broadcasts was eventually collected into a book that we now know as Mere Christianity, which has had a large impact on a lot of people. But from, mere Christian, from those radio broadcasts and later from Mere Christianity, he says this, Now the whole offer which Christianity makes is this, that we can, if we let God have his way, come to share in the life of Christ. If we do, we shall have this, we will then, excuse me, if we do, we shall then be sharing a life which was begotten, not made, which always existed and always will exist. Christ is the son of God. If we share in this kind of life, we also shall be sons of God. We shall love the father as he does and the Holy Ghost will arise in us. He came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has by what I call good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. I love that idea that we are called to become little Christ. In other words, we are called to let Christ live in us and shine through us so that others may see that. I think that's what's happening at the church in Antioch among other places, of course, but first and foremost at the Church of Antioch was, was people saw Christ shining through those disciples. They saw the way they lived. They saw the way that they, they treated others. And it became obvious that there was something distinct about them compared to the rest of the world. You see, the goal of the Christian life is to make us more like Christ. Right? And if that's true of us as individuals, then it's also true of us as a church, that our church, First Church, should be more and more like Christ, as we as individuals seek to be more and more like Christ as well. So I, I can't help but ask the question, what do you think people see when they look at you or when they look at First Church? Do they see Christ shining through? I hope so. I hope people know that by the way that we live and the things that we do and the words that we say, people know that we are Christian. It really means a Christian simply means one who belongs to Christ. Notice, too, how the gospel spread to the church at Antioch. It says that the gospel spread because of persecution, and I would argue not in spite of it. The early church was centered around Jerusalem, and rightly so, and, and that, because that's where the crucifixion and the resurrection took place. That's where the disciples gathered and received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And so much of the early activity of the church was centered around Jerusalem. But as the church grew, so did attention they received from the religious leaders of the day. The disciples found themselves in jail for proclaiming the gospel. And one of them, a man named Stephen, which you heard his name mentioned when we preached from Acts chapter 6, Stephen was, was brought before the Sanhedrin, called to testify, and eventually stoned to death as a result of his faith in Christ. After his martyrdom, followers of Jesus fled Jerusalem and scattered throughout the known world, and they brought the gospel of Christ with them. And we live in a world today, our, the culture, the culture's perspective on Christianity, on faith in general, but Christianity in particular, is, is shifting. It's changing. Whereas in, in, our, in our country, we may have had a, a privileged place at one point, and, and of course there's there's perspectives and arguments on what that looks like, had looked like over the years. But whatever your perspective was, it certainly is true that things have changed more recently. Church, we need not fear hardship. We need not fear persecution. 
because it's often the vehicle through which the gospel is spread more effectively. That as we suffer for Christ in whatever shape or form that may take, as we suffer for following Christ, that is a witness to the rest of the world of the truth and the validity of the gospel. Tertullian, who was an early church father, once said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That the church grows, that the church thrives, not during prosperity, but during persecution. And so we shouldn't be asking ourselves, how do we avoid hardship or how do we avoid persecution? Rather, we should be asking ourselves, how do we glorify God in the midst of our circumstances, whatever they may be? And how can I, how can we spread the gospel? How can we make Christ known in and through our lives through the hardship we face? You see, that's what they were doing at the church in Antioch. The gospel spread there because of the persecution. And, and, and it was because of it, not in spite of it, that the church grew. And so let's take a look a little bit more closely at the church in Antioch. There's a couple of things for us to note. First, their, their reputation is well known. The word, the word of their character and the conduct caught the attention of the believers in Jerusalem. Now, that may not seem like a big deal until you look at a map of, of that area. Jerusalem is approximately 300 miles from Antioch. Antioch is, is a city located in modern-day Turkey. It's kind of at the, if you can imagine the Mediterranean Sea, it's kind of at the, I guess it would be, northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea, some 300 miles from Jerusalem. Now, in that day, there wasn't social media, there wasn't cell phones, there wasn't easy transportation. So imagine what it would take for word from a church 300 miles away on the, from our perspective, the other side of Chicago to make it all the way back to Jerusalem. Something pretty important must have been happening. Something pretty big must have been going on for word to spread all the way back to Jerusalem. Their reputation was well known. And so the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas. Yes, that's the same Barnabas who vouched for Saul in Acts chapter 9. They sent Barnabas to continue to teach them about the Lord. And he went to Tarsus eventually to recruit Saul to minister with him as well. And so their reputation preceded them. But, and then, as I mentioned already, Antioch is the first place where the, Christian, where the believers were first called Christians. They were identified by their allegiance to Jesus, the one they called Christ. As I mentioned, Christ, Christian literally means belonging to Christ. They now bear his name, they belong to him, and they must represent him well. And the same is true for us today. If you call yourself a Christian, you bear the name of Christ. You're labeling yourself as someone who belongs to him. And so we must bear his name well. That's one of the, the problems that... Uh, survey after survey brings up in in the American church. Uh, there's all these sorts of surveys that have been done over the years of why people have left the church or why people have left the faith. And one of the answers that keeps coming up over and over and over again at the top of this list is the perceived hypocrisy of people who claim the name of Christ but don't live according to Christian values. Right? The word hip- hypocrite right means to it means to be two-faced. It means to, it means to in, a, in a literal sense, play a part, to be an actor, to be someone, pretend to be someone that you're not. And so to call someone a hypocrite means that they are saying they believe one thing, but their life and their actions 
say something else. And so one of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest obstacles that people have when it comes to their relationship to the, to the church and their relationship to faith is seeing the hypocrisy or the perceived hypocrisy of believers in Christ. People who claim to belong to Christ, yet their lives and their attitudes and their actions don't line up with Jesus. That's a problem, isn't it? If we bear the name of Christ, if we, if we want to be like the Christians in Antioch, who were so Christ-like that they were labeled Christian, then we need to make sure our lives and our attitudes, our perspectives are lining up with Jesus. We want to bear the name of Christ well. And I think there's, looking at this passage, there's three distinctive marks of how the believers in the church in Antioch came about that, um, earned that label themselves. And, And there's something I think we can learn from that as well. The first um, well, first of all, it's interesting to know how little we know about this church in Antioch, yet it played such an important role in the book of Acts as we'll, we'll see. The New Testament does not contain any letters to the, written to the church at Antioch, unlike the church in Rome or, you know, Corinthian. The church in Corinth got two letters, but there is no letter to the church at Antioch. Yet these few short verses in Acts reveal a church that was distinctively Christ-like in nature. And again, so much so that it's where people first were identified as belonging to Christ. People were so Christ-like in their conduct and character that they were dubbed little Christs. And so what are these three marks that we see here in Acts chapter 11? First, we see that the church was diverse. Reading through this description, we see that the church was composed of both Jews and Gentiles. Early leaders were from places like Cyprus and Cyrene. One of the marks, one of the challenges of the early church was to create unity among a people from diverse religious, diverse social, diverse ethnic backgrounds. And it's one of the challenges that we see was, was found not just in Antioch, but in the other churches as well. As Paul wrote letters like, for example, the church in Galatia and to the Galatians, he said, we are all one in Christ. There is no more male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, in a, in a world that was divided very strictly by social class and by, by place, um, to see people being united together as one, Slaves and free people worshiping together, men and women coming together and worshiping freely. It was a very radical perspective. And continues to be. Paul writes how Christ overcomes the divisions that we often experience between different peoples. In Ephesians chapter 2, after speaking of what Christ has done for us individually, that he has brought us from death to life, he then says this, beginning in verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law and its commands and regulations. 
His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Notice what Paul is saying there. Jew and Gentile are both saved in the same way, through faith in Christ, through his death and his resurrection. And so when Christ died for us and drew us to himself, he overcame whatever sort of divisions, whatever sort of obstacles that we have set up between us as people. Right? Christ tore down that dividing wall. In other words, our common commitment to Christ as Savior and Lord overcomes any obstacles that may lead to division as we learn to love and serve those who may be different than us. Revelation 7, 9 through 10 paints a beautiful picture of what that will look like in the kingdom of God. The Apostle John says, After this I looked, and there was before me a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Notice here in this passage, Christ, the, the, the salvation we experience in Christ, belonging to Christ, does not erase our distinctions. He overcomes them. People from every tribe, nation, tongue, and people indicates that our God-given differences will be a part of the kingdom of heaven, but they will not divide us. They will not separate us. They will be, we will be united in Christ as one people to worship and praise our Savior. And that's good news for us in a world that is divided and polarized over every conceivable issue. We often retreat to echo chambers of cable news networks or social media platforms that reinforce our beliefs and strengthen those divisions. And when everything is so divided, we fall into the trap of believing that if we disagree with someone, then we must not love them. Or if we love them, we will never disagree with them. That couldn't be further from the truth. We need to recognize that our unity comes not from common sharing on political perspectives or economic issues or what town we grew up in or who our parents were. Our unity comes from Christ, from being united in him as one. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There is so much hate and division in our world today. Let us be a church. Let us be a place where people can come together, that we can worship the Lord together in spirit and in truth. The second mark of the church at Antioch was that they are a church that remained true to the Lord with all their hearts. Unity, with the, unity is pointless if it's not grounded in our commitment to Christ as Savior and Lord. Right? There's no use being united in error around something that is ultimately unimportant. The unity that we have comes from that common commitment to the Lord, remaining true to Him. It says that they remain true, they remain true to Him with all their hearts. It alludes to the greatest commandment, right? Think of Deuteronomy 6 or when Jesus repeated that in Matthew 22. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so the question for us is, how do we remain true to the Lord with all our heart? What does that look like? There's a few things I think that are important for us to remember. We need to be shaped by the word and not the world. We need to be shaped by the word and not the world. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The world wants to shape us into its image, right? Through social media, through um, all sorts of things. But we need to make sure we are not allowing the world to shape us into its image. We need to make sure that we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind through the word so that we be more and more like Christ. Another way to remain true to the Lord is to make Christ our number one priority, not an additional add-on or optional add-on to our lives. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I know Jesus there in the Sermon on the Mount is, is talking specifically about the lure of material wealth. But, but I just want to urge you for a moment and take money out of that verse and drop in any other thing this world has to offer, right? And, and the same principle is true. We cannot serve two masters. You'll either be devoted to one hate the, or, and hate the other, right? You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and popularity. You cannot serve both God and the pleasures of this world, right? We need to make him our number one priority in our lives. A third way to remain true to the Lord with all our heart is, a, is to allow prayer to shape the rhythm of your life, right? Prayerlessness is a sign of lack of faith and trust in the Lord. A prayerless church is a faithful, faithless and ineffective church. Jesus often made time to pray in his ministry. He would go off to lonely places and pray to the Lord on his own. I'm just telling you right now, if Jesus needed to do that, if he made that a priority in his life, how much more do we need to make that a priority in our own lives as well? And the last thing in this section, we need to let your love for Christ be evident in the way that we treat other people. As we see in the first and what we'll see here in just a moment as well, that our love for God, or our love for others is an extension of our love for God. Again, think of how Jesus framed the great commandment to love the Lord your God, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Our love for the Lord should overflow in the way that we treat other people. In Matthew 5, Jesus reminds us that it's not enough just to love our neighbors, just to love the people that are like us or that will love us in return. We must also love our enemies. Love people even when they're the most unlovable. Love people and expect nothing in return from them. That's the kind of love that Christ calls us to have for others. And that then brings us to the third mark of this church in Antioch. And that is they were the center uh, for ministry activity or missionary activity. You see in the closing verses of this passage that the church in Antioch heard about a need in Jerusalem. Again, 300 miles away. And yet they rallied together to meet the need. In essence, they took up a blue jug offering, right? They heard about a need. They rallied together. They pooled their resources and sent the money away to help those who were facing a crisis. They saw a need and they were willing to meet it. They loved and they gave sacrificially. Church in Antioch. As I mentioned, we don't know a whole lot about the church like we do in other cities like Rome or Ephesus or Corinth. 
But one thing we do know about Antioch is that throughout the rest of the book of Acts, it became the home base for Paul's missionary activities. So as Paul would journey throughout the Mediterranean area and go to places like Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi, it was Antioch that was his support base. They were the ones who were, who were sending him out. And it was Antioch that he would return to, to be refreshed and to, to report back in. So Antioch really became a center for sending missionaries, specifically Paul and Barnabas and Silas later on. And it was through that mission that many other churches were impacted. Many other areas were influenced because Antioch was a place where people were being sent out to spread the word. One of the first sermons in this series we talked about was being an outward-focused church. We looked at Acts chapter 1 when Jesus told the disciples to go and that he, they will be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right? And we're seeing because of the church in Antioch, that great commission is being fulfilled. They were sending people to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the known world, to, to spread the good news of the gospel of Christ. A, a distinctively Christian, Christ-like church is one that is defined by the great commandment to love God and love others and the great commission, which is to make disciples of all nations. The church is not a building or institution. It's the people of God gathered together on mission to worship and serve the Lord. And if we want First Church to be a distinctively Christian church, it starts with each and every one of us. We must be Christ-like in our character in our conduct. We must be committed to loving God, loving others, and making disciples. And if we're able to do that on an individual level, then we'll begin to be that kind of church we desire to be. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you here in this place. And as we do that this morning, Lord, as we hear from your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would enable us and equip us to live for you and to be little Christ in this world, in this community you've placed us in. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service of worship this morning, we are going to sing hymn number 284. We're going to sing verses 1 and 4. 1 and 4. They'll know we are Christians by our love.
may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.